Coke or Pepsi? Uh, actually, um, Cherry Coke Zero. See? <laughs> Had to go there. I'm more comfortable with open theism than I am <laughs> with Coke Zero. You come in here saying God doesn't know the, the future, and I'd be more comfortable. Well, he, I don't know if he'll know which one I'll pick. <laughs> All right, I, I want to ask you a question about the atonement. Okay. How does Jesus' death save us? Uh, well, that'll take a while. Um, I suppose, in my mind, yet the first, you know, I guess part of the real consideration is, is what are we being saved from? which maybe is part of even in the question in that, um, you know, and for anyone that's really even looking or has considered the ideas of atonement, there's, you know, it's probably good to make note that there's multiple ideas of that, right. that there's multiple theories, um, and theories is probably a good word with it. We're just trying to, you know, we're all trying to figure out what that, what that all looks like, and it's pretty, pretty challenging to get something that's just absolute concrete. I mean, there's not exactly anything biblically that says, you know, here's why, and spells it out A, B, C, and D, right? And so we're still always, as humanity, always fairly limited um, because of language, not only the language you and I would talk about right now. I mean, I could say something and you mean one thing, but you're not even exactly understand what I'm meaning, let alone when we're looking at writings that are, you know, multiple thousands of years old uh, and trying to um, uh, to consider, trying to figure out what was the intent of the writer uh, and what um, lens, if you will, or filter that they were writing through when they wrote it. We can't go back there and get inside their head. So, you know, it, the inspiration of what they're writing uh, is certainly for our benefit, uh, and for the good of humanity, but the reality is, is getting the exact point of what they're saying is not always the easiest thing to do. So I think uh, one important thing to always remember is it's really good to allow our minds to, um, well, I'll, I'll back up and say it like this. Uh, as humans, we're so addicted to certainty that it's really even difficult to answer big questions that don't have certainty <laughs> because we want certainty. We want exact, we want concrete um, because actually living by faith is a little bit challenging because you just have to be okay with not knowing some things. Uh, and so because we want is, certainty. Is your answer I don't know? Uh, no, I'm just setting up. A, I don't, I mean, I, who can say that we know? I mean, I again, back to different uh, theories uh, in different places to, to be able to give exact is never really easy. So I guess I'm setting myself up in an answer to say, uh, I think we all do well and do better if we allow ourselves a little bit of flexibility to understand we're in the process of knowing. So I don't really want to give an answer that says, I know, because uh, I don't think necessarily that's all the way possible. But uh, from where I am in my journey and discovering and looking at that, um, uh, I mostly see that uh, the work of Jesus being incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, etc. His full body of work, if you will, right. uh, speaks to us of the reality that it is saving us from the deception that was destroying us. And so we see, uh, from my perspective, looking back at um, what we see said in Scripture, the beginning of humanity, uh, the whole aspect of the two trees and the deception that took place there uh, is what began uh, to be the dominant control uh, of the human existence, and that being because humanity has uh, the option uh, of choice and the option uh, that we would say of free will gives us the reality that in order for there to be choice, in order for there to be free will, then innate within free will is the capacity to be deceived or to, quote, make uh, an unhealthy choice uh, or error in our choice. And so if there wasn't that capacity, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be choice. If you were always right in every decision that you ever make, because you only have the capacity to be right, then you're still not even within choice. Uh, and so uh, we would see that in the nature of God, in his goodness and his love and creating humanity with the ability to choose, within the ability to choose has to be the, be, uh, the ability to choose wrong. Mm -hmm. And so um, Jesus in his work uh, was the uh, saving truth, saving light. Uh, and I like, um, 
I like to help us maybe understand as we consider Scripture that the idea of light probably is maybe better understood as knowing, while the understanding of darkness is unknowing. And so if we can even allow our mind to move away from this, even Jesus, light of the world, or we're called light of the world, is it's not, obviously it's not a light bulb. Jesus isn't a light bulb, right? He's not lumens, if you will, uh, but he's knowing. He is the truth. He is the knowing of God. He is the knowing for the world to know what God's like and who we are. Uh, and so as we embrace light, we become that as well. We begin to be the knowing uh, of what God's like and who God is and who we are that causes others to come out of darkness or out of unknowing and into that knowing. Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to say in that uh, long answer uh, is, is that Jesus is uh, saving us from the unknowing. Uh, he is the light. Does that work to some degree? <laughs> Maybe at least create more questions. Should I move forward? More questions? Uh, what, uh, is there more on that? Uh, you want to do more on that? or? Uh, should I? Well, I'll, I'll just uh, move this way and just add a, a little bit more uh, in that. And so I think that even when we're considering um, this library that we call the Bible, 66 books written by different authors over an entirely different, you know, thousands of years of time, uh, when we're seeing that collection, uh, and that collection has been put together for uh, extremely for our benefit, uh, is, is that we, we get to see that what we see of going on in the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, uh, that that was the people, uh, a people uh, in the earth that was being uh, led by multiple leaders, and then ultimately uh, what we have in scripture being led under Moses, uh, and then Joshua under their understanding uh, of God that we call the, the Mosaic Covenant, right? Um, that even part of the work of what Jesus did coming through that, um, uh, that segment of humanity known as the Jews uh, and Israel, him coming through that, he was doing the work of saving them, if you will, freeing them from the law that they were under uh, through Moses, and also expanding, which is what the work of Paul did, right? Expanding that beyond just that people group into the people groups of the of the earth. That that understanding of God is not the understanding of God that Jesus brought. So, again, Jesus as the light, the knowing, freed not only the Jewish people from this temple. Uh, temple system, law-based, performance-oriented uh, relationship and connection with God to a loving father-son family orientation uh, to God is what Jesus brought not only to the Jews but to humanity at large beyond uh, the Jewish culture. So part of the saving, if you will, is we have to really understand that the, the original language connected there is in the terms of sozo, which is not this not the idea of we were going one place, but now we've been saved to go to another. Uh, it is the word of healing and health and wholeness. And so the saving work of Jesus is actually more maybe accurately understood as the healing restoring, redeeming, if you even want to use that word, but bringing about right. wholeness right. in the, the lives of humanity and culture at large. And so uh, it was this, this place of being uh, delivered, Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua, being delivered out of this bondage system like under a pharaoh, the cracking of the whip of the law, um, we were saved out of that understanding of God and that understanding of ourselves where Jesus even said, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends, partners, if you will, together in relationship. And so that's what Jesus quote, a lot of his work was saving us from so that we can live in a greater place of health and wholeness within ourselves, holistically, spiritually, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, etc., and then relationally amongst ourselves and God and amongst each other. So there's a, the, the holistic and totality of what the saving work that Jesus did is, is huge, 
uh, and not that uh, not that the idea of the saving work of, of Jesus being uh, taking us out of an eternal place here to an eternal place there, whatever that means all the way. Uh, but the reality is, is that it was a totality, a holistic, if you will, sozo of healing and wholeness that's been un- unlocked within humanity to access any time we want to set our faith in that direction to access. So uh, it's a pretty pretty big scope, but... It's fun to consider all of the realms of healing and wholeness that the work of Jesus provides. We could just keep going, keep asking. I don't need to answer anything else. I don't know. Well, plus what I'm craving from you is like a one-sentence summary after all that, and I'm going, he's not going to give me a one-sentence summary. That's your job. He's not going to do that. That's your gifting, his Uh, one-sentence statements. I told him I'd write the chapters, titles of the, of the book. That's it. And he'd write the chapters. The one, the one sentence is Jesus, uh, Jesus heals us. But it's hard for us because we often... I was like, I was like that's not going to... He's going he's gonna to unpack that. Now. Well, because it gets... It, well, because our minds are right. We're so... Uh, um, semantics builds paradigms. And so the language that we use builds the boxes that we right. live in. All right. we have is words. Right. I mean, we don't have any other way to talk about this. We don't have any other way. And so our words are just signposts. Words aren't really the deal, which is unfortunately what we've made them. And it's unfortunately what we've even created the Bible to be. Those words in there are because, again, we're so addicted to certainty. We want those words, which ultimately comes my understanding of those words. And you all better like my understanding of those words because your understanding of them is totally wrong. Because I'm right and you're not. And so that's how that, I mean, that's. Actually, you have that flipped. I'm right. And you're oh, see, wrong. there you go. And so, and on and on that goes, right? And so at some point, we have to maybe become open if we can allow our minds and our hearts to even begin to, in some way, become open to the reality that every word is not the, the issue, it's what the word is trying to get us to. And so if you might say it this way and I might say it this way or people on the other side of the world might say it that way, it can't so much be about the word. It has to be about what it's trying to get us to. So if someone uses this word or that word to explain, someone might use the word love, someone might use the word justice, someone might, but it's trying to point us somewhere, right? And so even the word salvation or atonement, if you will, it's not about that word. It's about where is it trying to take us? And so if we become a little more open to allowing those words to take us somewhere, we might not have to fight as much as we fight. And we could basically say, I think we're pointing to the same thing. You're just using words like this and I'm using words like this, but it's the essence of where it's trying to get us to. Uh, I think we can be a lot healthier uh, in that. And so when we say the word, when I say this, this, this statement, Jesus heals, when we hear the word heals, our mind already goes to, to if we've got cancer and it gets resolved. But, and so, you know, and it's challenging because then even words just change over time, right? Culturally, we can say, you know, something right now that someone really enjoys. We might say, man, that is just totally stupid. But like, you mean that to be like cool. But like, you don't mean that to be cold. You mean that to be awesome. So you were so, using stupid as a compliment. Right, right. Like and sick. Right, like that's sick, right? Well, and they're like, whoa, it has an illness. Right. <laughs> so, so all these things become challenging, you know, and so we got all those kind of things. So when we say that, you know, and I just kind of one sentence it to Jesus heals, uh, it's, you know, a whole lot more than just makes my body better. Yeah. Uh, and it's even, even to the word peace, the word shalom, scripturally, original kind of language, the word shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. Right. It doesn't right. mean the absence of right. conflict. Right. Uh, but so we can even we can be in shalom in the midst of conflict. We can be living basically in alignment in our lives without out of order and without pieces missing and without things in broken state. Jesus is the light, the truth, the love, the peace, the grace, the relationship, the belonging, all those aspects that the human nature fully needs. He is all of that. And when that becomes what we embrace as the truth of Jesus, not only being the example for us, but the example of us, 
we begin to allow ourselves to realize, oh, what Jesus is like is actually what I'm like. So I ought to just live that way. Yeah, my, my true new self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My true self is that Jesus is the mirror, the reflection of that. And so as I embrace that through faith, I begin to align my life in that way uh, and begin to move in it. That's healing because now I'm getting to actually be the design of who I actually am, which is the fullness of getting to live the life, the the Zoe, Zeo uh, life that had uh, in I had to bring it up. Bring I couldn't help it. No way around it. Um, almost wore the shirt. Uh, and so uh, I, that's how we begin to live out fully who we are. Which is what the representation is, which is what Jesus brought into the world. Here's how you can really live you. So, if I can, I have a list of questions. I'm going to try to tidy, tidy yeah, that yeah. answer up. You are resisting a, a two dimensional understanding of the atonement as a transactional atonement, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like divine math. Like humans create sin, God is holy, that creates, there must be punished, so Jesus is punished, so that we get that deleted from our account, and then we go to heaven forever when we die. And you're saying, hold on, first off, that might satisfy your brain, but what Jesus accomplished is so much more broad than that. And even in the word atonement, you're singling out this one little action in Jesus' life, which is amazing, Mm -hmm. his death. Mm -hmm. Totally incredible demonstration of love. Mm -hmm. But actually... His whole life, incarnation, death, resurrection, Mm -hmm. ascension, current Mm -hmm. reign, and whole big plan for humanity Mm -hmm. is a lot broader than just souls Mm -hmm. in a place in eternity, but it's soul, body, relationship, restoration to God, restoration to people. Mm -hmm. I'm filling out the answer. As long as you did, I just was trying to summarize, and then I got off on a roll. Okay. (laughs) Well, there's no way I'm not going to piggyback on that some more (laughs) to make sure that we just keep emphasizing. Question one. Right, to emphasizing of, of how much Jesus moved humanity or gives humanity the capacity to move off of transactional performance existence because that's ultimately what the law and temple system created was uh, behavioral, uh, transactional um, uh, mode of relating with God. Jesus did away with that. Transactional meaning. Transactional meaning I have to do this in order to have this. And I must be. The, uh, I must do these requirements in order to even uh, be able to connect or relate. Uh, all of these performance uh, demands and requirements. Listen, behavioral and performance is is key and essential to ever achieving anything well in life. But it has nothing to do with our relationship with God. God's not sitting around um, with this concept of, well, you didn't hold up enough, uh, you didn't hold up to enough of my uh, demands over here, so then that's going to, now we can't relate. That, that's like, that's obscene in light of Jesus. But that's, per, that's precisely what the temple system of law was, had been creating. Moses is, if you will, Pharaoh mindset, Pharaoh concept of God. I don't know how much time we've really spent realizing that that's the only God concept that Moses had was Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh wasn't considered just a king. The Pharaohs were gods. That's, the, which, that's what Moses was raised under. We have no recollection, uh, or we have no, no, we don't have any recollection, we weren't there, but we, ha- we don't have any insight that there was another God form that Moses ever even understood. So when he has this encounter, even at the burning bush, he might have this situation where, okay, wow, this is God, but his mindset is still wired to the reality of God works like Pharaoh. Here's the rules, here's your task, here's what you have to do, you do it, or there's a whip and a punishment at the end of your day. And so the law-based system that came through that understanding was, here's what you have to do, here's what has to get done, here's the task that you have to, to keep and perform, or there's going to be a whip at the end of the day. It's most easily recorded in Deuteronomy 28. You do this and everything's going to go well for you. You don't do this and everything's going to go bad for you. And that concept of God was completely erased and eradicated in the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus is, is I'm with you, I'm running towards you, I'm putting robes and rings and fatted calves on you, regardless of how bad you smell from rolling around in the pig pen. And in that light, we get to say, oh, holy smokes, this isn't about how well I can perform, this is about how open my heart is to the reality of love, and in the the embrace of that, 
we get to be whole and healed and realize that now because we're whole and healed or whole and healing, uh, we have an opportunity to even function at a much greater capacity. Our behaviors become better, our attitudes become better, our motives, our interactions, we actually then get to live in the way we were designed to that produces the fruit of a good life opposed to the thorns and thistles of a really junked up behavior. All of that. I actually have some strong pushback to your answer, but I'm not going to do it here. Why not? I'm not going to do it. So, favorite sports team? No, no, no. I don't have a sports team. Um, What's the pushback? Uh, The pushback is that Ohio State Buckeyes. God in dealing. What what is it? I said Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State. Oh, but pushback. Man, I can't even handle that. I right know. Now. That's almost as bad as if you had said Michigan Wolverines. I just <clears> no, we can't say those words. <laughs> At least we can agree. No, we are right. We got agreement there. We call it Michigan. Uh, the law is not bad, right? And the relationship between Old Testament and New Testament is not one of a bad God or a punishing God and a, and a, and a good loving God, right? Correct. The right. relationship is the same God, exact same God, mm-hmm. same character, who uh, doesn't change ever. So Moses is relating to Jesus, as Hebrews says. Like he considered, like the, the, basically he considered the pleasures of Jesus worth more than living under that system, that slave system of, of Pharaoh, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can see that the, the contrast in the New Testament of being liberated from that system of laws that's designed to reveal the deadness and the emptiness of human self-salvation projects, mm-hmm. right? I can see how somebody would then start to go, the law itself is bad, but the law is not bad, right? The law is just a light, it's just a light bulb. It just turns on, and then you go, oh my word, what the heck is going on around here? This is, and the cockroaches go running, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? It doesn't have any power to save us, but the mm-hmm. real problem is not law, but sin. And in fact, the God in the Old Testament that's revealed is the Father of Jesus, a loving God of covenant and salvation and mercy and undeserved grace and undeserved election and undeserved favor and mm-hmm. like unconditional, like you didn't earn it. He just right. comes to you and saves you and makes covenant with you. And mm-hmm. like, so I, like, I'm, I'm not viewing Moses' theology as like um, a theology in a different Jesus or, or than, than the Jesus of the New Testament, but rather uh, it's, it's a step on the journey to the fullness of revelation that comes in Jesus, Right. So obviously, we don't bring people under old covenant law. Rather, Jesus frees us from that whole system by providing the fulfillment of the system and the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. But God still does deal with people uh, in terms of uh, consequences. If you sow to please the sinful nature, you'll you'll reap corruption. Mm -hmm. If you sow to please the spirit, you're going to find life and peace. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't change. I mean, obviously, you've got a corporate relationship. Like Deuteronomy 28 is very, very national very corporate, and now God's dealing with, I think, more individuals, and most of the time what Jesus is revealing in the Gospels is not, oh, you're, you're sick because you're being punished, but sometimes sin does affect and bring us into bondage, right? right? And sometimes there sin is a sin issue. You, do, you, do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So I guess I would push back slightly against what I'm hearing you say as almost a contradiction between Old and New Testaments. Mm-hmm. I don't view them as opposed to each other. I view them as promise and fulfillment, yeah. or shadow and reality. But, but Christ is in there, and Moses is relating to Christ, you know, as Hebrews says. Well, and um, I'd, I'd take my explanation a little further uh, in, in context of that to say that Moses, uh, how, can I, how can I say that? Moses wasn't relating to Jesus. So you can't, I don't know that I can, can embrace that Moses was revealing Jesus or interacting with Jesus. Um, yeah, I hear it just John chapter one, right? Law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. No one's ever seen God, including Moses, right? Including Moses. But so Jesus, Moses makes him known. But, so I'm, but I'm, I'm just trying to point out the yeah. compatibility of the trajectory, that the, the ultimate trajectory of, of the revelation God gives Moses, it's pointing forward to Jesus. It's not, it's not some sort of like regrettable, Jesus is all. Jesus is all through... God is all through, Father is all through the Old Testament. Do you understand why, what, like what my motive is in, in, in pushing back? 
Well, uh, I'm I'm assuming is so that we don't create two opposites, two exactly. opposite gods, yes. and don't throw out our not, Old Testament. To which yeah. is not what I'm doing, right. uh, and so that's why um, for me to to add in that so that people can't hear me saying there's different gods, right? Because there's not. We just happen to not see the full God when we're reading the Old Testament, yeah. unless those moments in the Old Testament where God is seen looking like Jesus. Because God doesn't look like Jesus in the Old Testament. And part of my everywhere. Part of my but at times that he does lately has been to reveal those moments in the New Testament where Jesus deals very firmly with people, with consequences and words of judgment. Mm-hmm. So he behaves in the New Testament, Book of Revelation, exactly like God in the Book of Judges. As I'm reading through Judges and, and it's mm-hmm. as my devotional reading, and I'm mm-hmm. going. Man, this is hardcore. The people mm-hmm. forget the Lord, sin against the Lord, come under mm-hmm. terrible bondage, and the Lord finally comes, has mercy on them and rescues them, but there's still like, a, there's, a, there's a correspondence between God's emotional life and their behavior. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, well, that's really compatible with the Jesus of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I love, I love it. Let's just keep opening cans. Let's keep opening cans. Because uh, what we, what, I'll put it like this, so given some definition to terms for me from behind my eyes, uh, is, is that uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a real strong place of wanting to help, um, help us move from the idea of the word sin being behavior to understanding the word sin is missing the mark, which is how it's defined biblically. Right. It's just that we've, in Christianity now still, because I still believe that most of Christianity is still living Judaism, is that most of Christianity makes the mark behavior. But that's not the mark Jesus made. So if Jesus is our light, Jesus is our truth, we should be asking the question, what mark did Jesus set that we should be aiming for? Because we understand that that whole concept of sin missing the mark is this archery term, right? This, this whole like aiming at the bullseye and to miss the bullseye is, quote, this word sin. And so if we want to know the bullseye, we have to look at Jesus for the bullseye. Right. Not Moses, not Abraham, yep. not David. Yep. Jesus for yep. the bullseye. So Jesus, what was the bullseye that you came to set in front of us, which was to understand Father mm-hmm. and to ultimately understand ourselves. Yep. The under- Son of God, Son of Man, one together, is the concept that Jesus was saying, here's the mark. Yep. Start aiming for that mark. Yep. So sin is not our uh, sin. Ultimately, is not our wrong behaviors or missing the mark of right. what the law right. says we have to perform at. It's missing the mark of what father or who father is yeah. and who we are. So that ultimately then is how I get to um, communicating uh, the understanding that um, that deception is sin, and the outworking of that becomes unhealthy, destructive, bad behavior. And so that takes us into Genesis with the two trees, right? That the two trees, uh, it wasn't disobedience that was sin. That was the result. We're always stuck on the fruit and never really considering the root. It's up here. And so the root issue was the embrace that we're not who God said we are. And ultimately, which means he's not who he said he is. Because if, if we're not who he says we are, then he must have lied, right? So, then you know, there's all kinds it's of... misplaced boom, faith. Boom, boom, boom. You know, it's a domino effect. And so the sin, if you will, that plagues humanity is the deception of what we believe about God and believe of ourselves. Jesus is the remedy to that, the healing of that, uh, the resolving of that. And so um, when, we, when we're using... For me, when I'm using the word sin, it's about always missing the... Mar- and when you read scripture and plug that in... Mm. It's quite dynamic. Uh, even just for one, you know, one simple verse that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Okay, well, then why is there so much wrong behavior in the world? Like either Jesus failed or we're missing something, right? And so, um, so in that, but if sin is the wrong view of Father and the wrong view of ourself, Jesus accomplished that. He took that away, meaning he gave the truth as the opportunity to always leave sin behind. That's how we can actually live without sin. We, cannot, we can live in ways of not missing the Father. You realize that 
the idea that we could live without sin is offensive to people, right? Of course just, it is. About everything I've said. Just is warning you. Just warning you right now. <laughs> everything I've said, I'm sure, has offense to somebody somewhere. I got uh, friends that are like, you're sinning if you're breathing. And right. I'm like, wow, that's, that's quite an understanding. Well, and actually they, they might be because they might be missing what father's like and what they're like every breath they take. Uh, so it's t- so which is goes back to even back to our atonement question of why Jesus died on the cross wasn't because of our bad behavior. It was because of how much we've missed what father's like. Right. So the cross becomes the representation of what father's like. I will submit and lay my life down for you and your benefit. So you may ultimately know that your wrong behavior does not keep me from you. Mm-hmm. And your wrong behavior does not send you away from me. You might walk away. You can be that son and go over there and hang out in the, in the pig pen all you want. And that's miserable and it's horrible. And you don't have to do that. That becomes the message of the gospel, right? You don't have to live in that pig pen because you've got a father with open arms at any moment all the time that you can come running and sit at your seat at the table. Because this son, even in this parable, that son's inheritance was not the possessions. We've got such a Western uh, American mindset that inheritance You got to get is, home and get back to my Xbox. That's right. That's right. And so the reality is, is his inheritance was his seat at the table, and he never lost his inheritance. He squandered his possessions, but he never lost his inheritance. And humanity has never lost their inheritance. The seat at the table is right there at any moment we want to awaken, come out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that we've got a seat right there. So when we understand that sin is not missing the mark of performance or behavior, but missing the mark of what Father's like and who we are, we get an entirely different perspective of atonement. We get an entirely different perspective of what it means to live in health and wholeness, sozo. We're not sitting around being behavior conscious. We're sitting around being relationship conscious, and that creates an entirely different dynamic of life. Ultimately, our behaviors will improve and become better, therefore giving better consequences in life because life gives us consequences. That's the innate design of life. But we've interpreted that as God's making that happen oh, yeah, today. No, no, the wrath of God in Romans is not God actively do, do, you know, doling out punishment. It's simply God's... Uh, God's default is mercy. In oh, Romans, yeah. in Romans sure, 1, yeah. it's like humans just keep rejecting, keep rejecting, and he keeps restraining mm-hmm. and not giving. It's, he's actively protecting from mm-hmm. consequences. Yep. And then in wrath, it says, he finally says, okay, I'll give you what you are demanding. Mm-hmm. I'll give you what you're asking for. And he lets, mm-hmm. he releases his merciful restraint. Yep. And then we get what we've been fighting him to get. And it is death dealing for us because here's the tough thing for us to really embrace is oh man can i say this jesus help us god in his love surrenders to our demands that's what romans 1 is saying that's what that's what mount sinai is about god said to everybody come up here and not get law he said come up here and hear my voice that was not plan jesus is plan a always been plan A. But humanities, particularly the Hebrews at that time, didn't want relationship. They only understood a Pharaoh system. Tell me what to do so I can be safe. And when I don't know what to do, I don't know how to feel safe. Because relationship is not safe. Relationship is messy. So so the, the question in religion is, what do I have to do to get God off my back? Not, how can I have a good, loving relationship? Or what do I have to do to get God to be happy with me? Which is just saying it another direction, right? And so Jesus says, you don't have to do anything for God to be happy with you. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Receive. <laughs> is not, his, his, uh, the statement at the Jordan River wasn't for Jesus' benefit. Everything that we have recorded in Scripture that came through Jesus was for our benefit. The voice at Jordan was not so Jesus could be like, okay, good, I'm glad he's happy with me now, like he didn't know that I didn't know. (laughs) It's so that we can understand that in the incarnation, Son of God, Son of Man, the mirror of who we are, we are pleasing to the Father. The moment our existence happens, we are pleasing to him, and we never get outside the place of pleasing. Doesn't mean our behaviors are always pleasing. I'm pleased with my four children, I don't have any way to not be pleased with them. 
I'm not going, I'm not, uh, their behavior is not always okay with me. And I'm going to, as a loving father, I can certainly constantly keep getting better at it. And you'll even have feelings about their behavior. Of course I do. But those feelings are temporary and will not ever dictate the nature of your relationship to them. Right. And I should do better to make sure that I function out of love (laughs) instead of the other feelings that, and so the, so, but God happens to be the perfect one at that. So he doesn't, he never stumbles in the way we do. He's not sitting up there and like, dang, you really ticked me off today. Bam. Oh, crap. It's not what he does, right? Because love, grace, mercy, all of that is in play in full effect. We're not, we not, so we can always be concrete. If we're wanting certainty, we can always be concrete in the fact that God is never against us. That's, that's concrete. Right. It's always for us. And so with that, that's where we get to set our faith. And because when we set our faith there, it's what unlocks our minds to understand and begins to heal our minds, meaning literally the places that we are controlled by deception. Why did I write all these questions, Eric? I don't know. You just wanted to start. You just gave us a launch pad. I do want you to talk about your anxiety journey. Okay, great. Let's do it. Switching gears from... But I have, can I... Which is how I've got to some... While we're sitting here and I'm I'm hearing your, your... what, what you're consumed with, mm-hmm. right? The thing that has uh, taken hold of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you reminded me of some of the church fathers that view the incarnation mm-hmm. as, see, to a Protestant, the Jesus' death, that's what saves us, right? Mm-hmm. But Jesus' life is just there for sort of moral, edu- moral education, right? <laughs> well moral said. education well that none said. of us will ever be able to apply because right. we're wicked, right? right? Well said. Um, Whereas to the church fathers, the incarnation is viewed as just as much saving us from sin mm-hmm. for the Father mm-hmm. as it, it's just viewed as a, a totality with his, with his death and resurrection and ascension all of and reign. It is, all of it is the That's present. what I'm hearing you yes. kind of eaten up with yep. is you're looking at Jesus and going, Jesus saves us. Right. You wouldn't, I, don't, like I wouldn't even hear you wanting to, to limit it to Jesus' death saves us. No, no, no. Jesus all of it. saves us. Father saves us. Holy Spirit saves us. They never work alone. Mm-hmm. They're completely... Right. I'm hearing a, a sort of an early church father's emphasis sure. of incarnation in what it, you're saying. I, yeah, I mean, I think we're still in the early church, so um, <laughs> I can be one of those early church fathers because uh, Christianity is still in its infancy. We're like, we're barely even toddlers. Uh, and so so 50,000 years from now, we're going to be doing a lot better. Uh, ho- and, hopefully, and hopefully maybe this conversation that will be preserved on Facebook 50,000 years from now can help add to the conversation. Uh, if the internet, it, the internet <laughs> fail, awesome. Uh, oh, or we've got recording back there. Something uh, is on. I'm just saying, our lives get to add into that. We're just as much church fathers as anyone else, and so the ability to embrace that and be okay with that allows us to stand up more in the power of who we are and actually contribute to the to the furtherment and betterment of humanity, at which is the the passion and heartbeat of Jesus. No one said that you're a church father if you're within the first two thousand years. There's nothing that says that except that's what we created. I have a lot of kids, and I, so I am a father. Yeah. So I could, I could just pretend that I'm a church father, too. You don't even have to pretend. You can just say I am and go for it, right? I do think there's something, there's something iffy about uh, taking all of our theological cues uh, from people whose worldview came from an era in which killing heretics was reasonable to them. I think there's a lot that's challenging in all of it that women were secondary or less. I think a lot, because that's what I was trying to emphasize even about Moses under Pharaoh. The writings that we have come through Moses was still coming through a grid that was non-Jesus grid. Yeah, I affirm that. And so that non-Jesus grid is what we have wrote on paper. My pushback is only designed to protect the unity of the scripture. I want not, all of it in there. Not to deny your, your, the emphasis you're drawing yes. from it. Yes, it all needs to be in there because it shows us where we didn't understand God. Jesus shows us where to understand God. Everything prior to that shows us where how we didn't understand God. Which, like Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his child means his view of God is that child sacrifice All they knew was Molech right. and Baal. So he just functioned as culture would function. And the, what looks like Jesus is, is no, you don't have to do that. Right. And since in we fact, now in have... In fact, I'll let I'll you do, do that to me to yes, prove to you. I will be the one 
And so that's how we keep the congruency if we want to hold to the 66 canonized books. That's how we keep congruency with it, that the fact that we are seeing where God was misunderstood, now in light of Jesus, we know that. Unfortunately, most people read Scripture from Genesis to Revelation uh, like linear, and the reality is, is you have to first know Jesus because Jesus is the Word of God, not the Bible. So Layla, my, one of my little daughters, she the other day got a gift Bible and she started reading it and she started a Genesis. Mm-hmm. And I looked over and I saw her reading Genesis. Nothing wrong with that. No. That's wonderful. Genesis is great. And I leaned over and I said, Layla, the Bible's a different kind of book. If I were you, I'd start with Matthew. Right. And she, she just kind of sat back. And she went back to the glossary and found Matthew and started there instead. Because it's not a book, it's a library. See, so we can pick the right mind, books to start with. Let's start with Jesus. Yep, that's it. He is the word. If we don't make, and, it, and I like to maybe even get in trouble on Facebook some just for the fun of it, uh, is that we really, 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 you're pushing passion buttons, really have to get away from the Bible being the word of God. With a capital W. Correct. Jesus has a capital W in his. Jesus is the the word word of God, and we understand the Bible through Jesus. I have people look at me with serious expression in their face, say, "Uh, where's my my Bible's over there? Yeah, yeah. Like, hold their Bible and be like, Jesus is this book taken on flesh. And I'm like, "Ah, Mm -mm, no. ah, He's better than that, even. Way better than that, and that's the deal. So when we see David write in the Psalms that you didn't want sacrifices... Oh, he got the right glimpse of God right there. But then when then we may see in another place where where God took out all of the uh, all the Canaanites uh, that doesn't look like Jesus. Are you going to say the baby thing against the rocks? <laughs> I was bracing for that. So we we have to understand how to read this library called the Bible and we read it through with Jesus as the plumb line. He is the light that shows us where we didn't understand God well. And it's okay, because we currently right now still don't understand God well, which is how we can say we know where we're sinning, and we know where Moses sinned. Do you see all my little thoughts popping up? They're just... I'm just kind of... <laughs> Carl Barth. Carl Barth was a, a you know, voluminous theologian, but basically I think I can distill his big contribution down to a thing, which is when we actually hear God mm-hmm. through the Bible, then we're hearing the Word. If, the Bi- if we let the Bible read us, now we're hearing the word. If we read the Bible and we manage it, fit it into our systems, we, we haven't heard the word at all. Right. And it's because we want certainty and we want to be right. Somewhat our brains are even designed that way. And so let me jump ship and connect the dots to say that, so in my journey with anxiety, a lot of this came into significant play because anxiety is just our brains wiring to wrong information. It's our overactive analyzing to something that's not reality. And so we allow ourselves to stay dominated there instead of moving the focus of our mind into what truth and light is. And light is who I am and who he is and how that unfolds in my life. And so to make it simpler in my book, and I'll share uh, in the next meeting uh, from my book, Hope Equals Bold, I make this statement that... Please make it simpler, Eric. Uh, right. Uh, uh, and so... Um, so I make the statement that, that hope is trusting love, mm-hmm. while anxiety is trusting fear. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is always the anticipation of things not working out. So we live, with, we, we live with something in reserve. A heart and a mind will never give itself to, in totality to something that we feel like won't work. And so we'll always hold something back, which therefore usually plays out of something not working, because we didn't give ourselves fully to it. So we didn't engage it all the way. We didn't put everything into it. Therefore, it has a greater capacity to not work out, which then only comes back around to tell our mind, see, I told you it wouldn't work out, which only causes us to embrace ourselves even stronger, which becomes a constant cycle of you can't ever put yourself into anything, and you've always got to hold yourself back. You can't give yourself to relationships. You can't give yourself uh, to the dreams and passions of your life. You can't give yourself fully because at any moment, the rug could be pulled out from underneath of you, and you don't want to feel that feeling again. And so you're constantly waiting and bracing yourself to not fall through the floor. And so when that becomes a way of your life, that's exhausting trying to hold yourself up and always looking. Con- your brain is actually wired. Uh, we don't, boy. 
Um, every, every brain has, uh, that God has created has what's called a reticular activating system. It's a part of our brain that's our gateway. Here you go, right? It's the, it's the doorway or the gate that allows the billions of bits of information that's coming towards us every second. It every, it's the filter. Oh, we'll just overwhelm and shut. That, and so the RES is the filtering system that either allows what to come into your consciousness or your subconscious. Focus. And so the reality is, is that RAS opens and closed by what you determine is important to you. So again, whatever your focus is, that's, so we've all experienced this, right? You ever bought a new car or a different car? And then all of a sudden, it's like you see that car everywhere. Was it a Ford Focus? Mine wasn't, but I'm just saying to myself, you, you ever have that feeling, right? You're like, holy cow, would everybody go to they're the... They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Well, they were all there before, but your RAS didn't see that as important. So it literally would filter that car in your subconscious wow. until you buy it. And then it's, you're, now your mind's aware that crap. Confirmation bias, yeah. And so we do it with scripture. We do it all the time. Like you, a scripture is like way important to you now. Like everybody's talking about that scripture. Well, it's because your RAS is just open to seeing and hearing where it, where it was there before. You just didn't see it. All right, all of us guys go open up the refrigerator, can't find that, and our wives walk right in, and there it is, right? We just, I think guys have this different RAS system. We can't find anything. Uh, and so, um, so what I'm trying to say is, is that when, we be, when we've had experiences, traumas, uh, letdowns, disappointments, negative effects, uh, in life that come from us oftentimes, even before birth, even, it begins to wire our minds in ways uh, that has us uh, with an intention and, an, and a focus uh, towards what's going to fall apart, what's not going to, even subconsciously. We might not even be consciously aware, but we are living our life in a way that is waiting for things to collapse. So because that is our focus, our RAS only begins to look for the things that are going to collapse. So we constantly live bracing ourselves, and then we have to, then our mind goes into the work of why is this happening to me? Why is this always going on? And we try to analyze, and it becomes a constant loop that keeps us right here, and we're never at rest, and we're never at peace. Even though we want to say Jesus is our peace, we're living in constant turmoil because we can't get our mind to come into a settled place because our trust is in the wrong place. Nobody has trust issues. Nobody in the world has trust issues. We just simply might have misplaced trust. And so we're constantly putting our trust in the results that fear uh, present to us. And so we, self, we, we have self-fulfilling prophecy constantly because we're the ones producing the failure in our life because that's all our mind is focused on. And so anxiety begins to live from a way of, I'm just waiting for the next failure. I'm just waiting for the next loss. I'm just waiting for the next mistake. I'm just waiting, right? If you, and people live all the time from a, well, I've had two or three really good things happen in life. I just, I bet the next thing's going to have to be horrible. Yeah, where the positive event causes stress because you don't want to let yourself feel joy and gratitude for it yep. because then you'll be opening up your heart to life in such a way that makes you more susceptible more. to being even more hurt right, by the next you, inevitable letdown. Bingo. And so we live closed off and we weren't designed to live closed off. The very nature, the very DNA of the design of God in us is to live open like the and Romans, The Romans didn't want to like too openly you know, get excited about their wife and kids in the, in the field and the good, the good harvest we mm-hmm. had because it might... The gods might take notice of me. Right. And if the gods take notice of you, it's right. easy to teach you something. Right. And so look at how that concept you just played into is the way Christianity plays the same thing. So anxiety has to be where you intentionally reset your focus to the trust of what love says and not the trust of what fear says. Have you ever experienced what you're just talking about? Can you give me a concrete example of a, a time or a season in your life where you went through all that anxiety? Uh, I, I lived for a good three, three years plus uh, of a pretty, I'm sure, uh, I never did, uh, I didn't go the path of medication and I'm not dogging it, I just didn't go that way. But I lived probably with the three solid years of, um, and for a significant amount of time, couldn't even get off the edge of my bed in the mornings. I would sit on the side of my bed, couldn't get to the bathroom, couldn't go anywhere because I was scared to death to take a step in the day because the day something will not work. 
and we had experienced so much loss and so much disappointment and so much heartbreak that I was so not wanting to feel that anymore. I couldn't even get my mind to be okay with the fact that if I take a step towards the bathroom, I was going to be safe. Because that's mostly the issue within all of us is that we're, we're designed and looking for safety. And we don't have a sense of safety. We're constantly in this state of fear. And that is what is constantly controlling us with fight, flight, or freeze. And I happen to live in a, for a, a considerable while with the freeze mechanism highly in play. I couldn't move. I couldn't get out. It'd take 15, 20 minutes for me to work my mind through a place that it's okay for me to even get out. I, I never laid in bed like all day, but I just couldn't get myself to go. I lived in a, a long period where I started stuttering, which was crazy. I never stuttered in my life. All of a sudden, I was stuttering all the time because I was scared to even let the words out of my mouth. My brain was trying to hold up on words. So it would take me like to get the words out of my mouth. And then different levels of healing that just left and went away. And so I've lived through these things and what, uh, what I've had to gain and grow through uh, to now living in a place that I don't know if I've ever been in a healthier place uh, in my life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, on, uh, which extends out into relationally, financially, et cetera, uh, in all these areas. Because, but it was a good three years worth of journey through enormously, sometimes very grueling uh, inner work uh, and inner healing um, and rearranging the mind with a very determined, intentional focus that, to understand this doesn't just happen. And nobody knows, if you will, the time frame. It's like rehab if you're in a bad car wreck and you have your legs tore up and you got to have rehab to even learn to walk again. Yeah. Nobody really knows the design of how long that's going to take. And how intentional you get at it will actually be the determination of how long it takes. I just happen to get extremely intentional uh, and very focused. Uh, and then now, uh, even when there's moments of triggers of things that want to pop up uh, or fears uh, or anxieties that want to um, challenge my mind, I can work, my, I can work through them so most of the time now in a matter of moments that could take days or even weeks previously for me to get through. So it's been an amazing journey into which now even my, uh, even my life coaching program, et cetera, is built around the concept of being able to move people down the road uh, in that because clarity and awareness of who you are and what's going on within you, therefore being aware of the deceptions that are controlling you yeah. and being able to then live from the truth that Jesus presents of who you actually are and the father that we actually have becomes the awareness that our minds are actually designed to live in. And so we get to live out our fullness of who we are from that perspective in that place instead of being controlled by trusting fear. So I don't know, something like that. <laughs> so it's been challenging, but it's been good. I couldn't be happier with where I am. Um, and, I'm, you know, as, as it tends to be, we can have a whole lot of gratitude on where we've been when we realize where we are. In the moment, it seemed like hell, and I wasn't for sure that it would ever change. I just totally didn't know. I didn't know if that was going to be what the rest of my life was going to be or not. Uh, but I'm very glad to know that, um, that I, I'm, I'm in sozo with that. I'm in healing. I'm in salvation. So I've been at one with God in that area. So maybe that helps. We're out of time for this. That's it. But I appreciate this a lot. Yeah, it's man. Good. I love it. It's good. You're the great interviewer. <laughs> He called, we talked last week on the phone and I was like, dude, you need to make some sitcoms. You need to do this. Like I'm even thinking because of the podcast I'm getting ready uh, to start. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I just need to, I just need to have Tim as the interview guy uh, and create the interviews for stuff because you do good at it, man. It's not my I'll send good. you a list of questions to ask people. Right, do it. I could send you a whole list of people to interview too. Do it. That's what <laughs> I'm a brainstormer. That's I, right. I know. That's why, that's why we get along. All right. Awesome. Thank you.